Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. We are on the series uh, Dear 21st Century Reliever, and this is the fifth track. All right. Uh, this is the fifth track of the series. All right. So we've um, seen some very interesting concepts, and I'm not you know, going to go into those things. I just want to, I'm going to pick up from where I ended last week. And I know I did the emphasis last week, which interestingly was not what I planned to emphasize on. You see, there's someone here, all right, you have, you have a particular friend or a group of friends that whenever you talk to them, you know this advice they always give you is not of God. And a lot of times, the reason you've not paid so much attention to it is that they say it jokingly. But when somebody gives an advice jokingly, but consistently, that does not align with God's word, it's a trigger. Do you understand? Before you know it, little by little, that advice will begin to filter in, and you begin to notice yourself acting a certain way. The, 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 the word of God for you is simple. Cut away from that friendship. It's, it's that simple. There's no, there are no two ways around it. Cut away from that friendship or from that group of friends. All right. But I, 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 I sensed it in my spirit. Actually, all right. You have a friend or a group of friends. Whenever you talk to them, you know that they will always give a kind of funny advice, and sometimes they laugh about it as they are saying it. So you don't take it seriously. So because of that, you just it's no big deal. Cut yourself away from them. All right. This one, the spirit of God said, actually cuts people off. All right, so cut them off. Use scissors and cut them off. All right. Now that being said, so as I was saying that um, on the series last week, um, I did an emph- I made quite some emphasis on honor for your parents, honor, honor for one's parents. All right, and then we also rounded it up, and I I, um, I opened up First Corinthians six twelve to thirteen, where it says, "All things are lawful for me, and not, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." And I try to emphasize that what makes sin sin is fundamentally lost. And so not every time will sin be doing bad things. Sometimes sin will be doing or having good things, but in a bad way or in a lustful manner. So things that normally, so just for example, for Jesus, turning bread, turning stone to bread is not, turning stone to bread is a temptation when he's on the mount. But multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish is a miracle and is a blessing in fact. The issue was never about bread. The issue was the context. Do you understand me? It would have been because the same Jesus now speaks to his disciples when they are in the boats. Jesus tells them, be, be wary of the living of the Pharisees. And you know, the disciples were wondering, oh, and then they thought, oh, maybe because we don't have bread. And then Jesus is saying, he's talking about, oh, we don't have enough bread with us or something. And then Jesus says, ah, you know, ah, why is there unbelief in your heart? Have you forgotten so soon? Have you forgotten the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish or the miracle of the seven loaves? In other words, Jesus is telling them, if I did it before, I can do it again. And don't forget, this time, it is even within the context of their sustenance. Because he's telling them, you don't have to be worried about feeding. If I've done it before, I can do it again. Meaning, it was not necessarily a bad thing for Jesus to multiply food for sustenance. It was just within the context of Matthew 4, when he was on the mount and he was fasting. Turning stone to bread was a temptation. So, a lot of times, it will not just be what. The temptation is about it will be the context of it that makes it a temptation that's that's simply what it is the context makes it a temptation all right sex is not bad but sex before the wedding night is a sin sex the morning after the wedding is is totally okay so sex is not the problem 
the context is. Do you understand? So that's really the way it is for most of the, for most, for you know, for a lot of things. All right. So it won't just be about the thing in itself. It will be the context of the thing. All right. That makes it a sin. And so the 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 believer, and I explained this very well, particularly in this generation, now has to take it upon themselves to work on their appetites. I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything. Do you understand? There are things I like. Agreed. There are things I I want to get or want to have. I'm not going to lose sleep because I don't have those things. I'm not going to lose sleep because I don't have a car. Because I don't have a nice house. I'm not going to lose things about those things. I'm not going to lose sleep because I don't have, and because I'm not in a relationship. Because I'm single and my friend is not. And don't be quick to laugh. You know, I always say it that we all have our tendencies. All right. I personally have never really understood for a very long time the reason people are pressured to enter a relationship. Genuinely. If I used to believe that it was a joke, that all of us were joking. I'm not joking. It's until very recently when I began to have interactions with more older folks, began to have interaction with more people, began to disciple people. I actually understood that this is a real pressure. I, I didn't understand the pressure before. But there are other things as well that probably if we discuss about it, you realize, oh, I can be pressured about things like that. And maybe chances are you are not pressured about it. But Jesus says, oh, sorry, scripture says something through Paul. He says, there is no temptation that has arisen, such as is not common to man. All right. So the reality of it is this we all will be tempted. We all will have our tendencies. You now have to recognize your tendencies and decide to work on those tendencies yourself. All right. You notice that whenever salary comes in, you spend money excessively. Cobits. Do you understand? Cobits. All right. So that's that, by the way. So let's just move on to um to, you know today's focus. And it is following God's leading. Following God's leading. Now I know I've done we did a teaching last month on the leading of the spirit. So I'm not gonna and I've already, you know, tried, I already did quite some theological explanation about you know foundations of divine leading. You know, some questions about now that you are led, how to be led, so on and so forth. So I'm not going to go into all of those. I'm going to come from an angle that you might not even expect me to. Look at Psalms chapter 14 from verse 1 to 3. Psalms chapter 14 from verse 1 to 3. Please pay attention. Pay attention. I'm going to be saying something very important. Psalms chapter 14 from verse 1 to 3. Listen to me, as you enter into a new week, you are strengthened of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every weary heart. I speak to anyone who is tired. You know, you, you just, you, you are just, you're not necessarily tired in your body, but in your mind, you are worn out. In the name of Jesus, the strength of God is communicated to you right now. In the name of Jesus, the strength of God goes through your mind. It goes through your body. And once again, you are pumped up. You are optimistic once again about life. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. There's another person here. Very recently, you thought back to maybe two or three years ago. And you remembered when you were very optimistic about your life and your future. You just remember. It was almost like you, you, you remembered or you saw. It was like you saw your younger self. And there was an optimism your younger self had for the future. Like, I know I'm going to make it. I know things are going to work fine for me. And you, you genuinely, you, it was like you missed that optimism. Because that, that, that fire is no longer there. You know, that confidence about the future is no longer there. And you wished. It was at that point, you saw, it was almost like you saw it again. All right. And, you know, it almost broke your heart. Because you wished that you could have that optimism, optimism again. Listen to me. By the power of the Holy Ghost, hope is rising again in your heart. In the name of Jesus, hope is rising in your heart by the Spirit of God. And this time, your confidence will not come from just a blank optimism about life. Your confidence will come from the assurance that God is your Father, that you are helped by His Spirit. All right, your confidence is going to arise. Is going to arise from that. 
Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Psalms chapter 14, from verse 1 to verse 3. I just want to say, I just want to remind you again and again. Please and please do well to share your testimonies. All right. Always do well to share your testimonies. Primarily because those testimonies have a way of giving other people or of strengthening the faith of other people to receive the more of their testimony. So when you receive a word like that, always do well to you know share. All right. So Psalms chapter 14 from verse 1 to 3. It says, the fools are said in his heart, there is no God. It says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. He says, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, a lot of times when we read this verse, what we pay attention to is the when we read this portion of scripture, what we pay attention to is the first verse. Because where it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Do you understand? So when we talk about atheism, for example, we believe that atheism is based on what the person professes. All right. So how do we know that you are an atheist? Because you say, I don't believe in God. Simple. All right. And so we only pay attention to what he said. We don't realize this. And I've always told you guys this. Listen. Your true convictions are reflected in actually how you live your life, not necessarily what you say. And that's the reason, for example, when you see in um, 1 Corinthians 12, when he was talking about the things of the Spirit, and he says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God, I'm quoting verse, um, I'm quoting verse 3 now. He says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, if you take that on face value, anybody can say Jesus is Lord. Do you understand? Jesus is Lord. I mean, people have bastardized that phrase so much. It is now a catchphrase that is used after, you know, after any, you know, church, you know, evangelism. This thing, Jesus is Lord. So it's not a big deal to say Jesus. Anybody can say, a Muslim can say Jesus is Lord. It's not a, they don't have to agree with this is my point. Anybody can say it. Are we together? But then for him to have said that you cannot confess Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost, it means that he has a deeper meaning. And I've gone, I mean, I've explained to you that what he's referring to is that you cannot confident because the, the phrase Jesus is Lord is actually ascribing to the Lordship of Jesus upon his resurrection. So in that phrase, Jesus is Lord, what you are saying is that I agree that this man died, was buried, rose again, is seated and right hand of the Father, because that is his lordship. You know, because Peter was speaking about it in Acts 2, and he says, Let the house of Israel know assuredly, I think that's verse 36, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right. So, pretty much as a function of you know of his death, burial, and resurrection, he has become Lord. And so when you say that Jesus is Lord, or at least when you affirm it that Jesus is Lord, you are affirming that this man is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, principalities and powers made subjects to him. That's what you are saying, all right? And as a reason of you confessing that, you are confessing the gospel, and by faith in the gospel, you receive the Holy Ghost. So what he is actually saying there is this. Your salvation is predicated on the fact that you have the Holy Ghost. All right. For you to confess that Jesus is Lord, you are confessing the gospel. And that is only made possible by the activity of the Spirit in your heart. And so that's the same. So in fact, what you see in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 is literally the same thing as Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Where it says, and you also, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the woman saw that after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So just the same way, he's telling you that because you believe, because you confess the gospel and you are saved, you now have the Holy Ghost, all right? So the Holy Ghost is synonymous to salvation, is synonymous to the confession of the gospel. That's what he's saying, basically, all right? But what I'm trying to explain to you is this. When you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 on face value, all right, no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Anybody can say Jesus is Lord now. 
But that's not the context. He's saying no man can profess it. No man can accept it in his heart. No man can accept it in his mind. And so what that means is this, is that for us to truly know what you believe, it's not just about what you say. Are we together? There must be a corresponding action that follows it for us to truly know what your convictions are. And this works in both ways. It works in the ways of a man who says, I am an atheist. You are not just an atheist because you say I'm an atheist. You are an atheist because there is a way you act or there is a way you live your life that is consistent with that affirmation. And that is why I always make jokes and say that a lot of people that we believe are atheists are not atheists. Because you believe that you know, believe that there is no God. Yet, you see um, a sacrifice on sea junction and then you run away. You are not you are not an atheist. You believe you believe that there are supernatural powers. You do. Do you understand me? Okay, you can be apathetic towards God, but you are not an atheist. All right. And so, while on, on one hand, that's something, it can also work on the other way around. That if you claim, and I've always said this before, if you claim that you believe that there is a God, it automatically places responsibility on you. Something as basic as this. If you believe that there is a God then you have to believe that this God is just. Do you understand me? You have to believe that there's a scale of balance that he has. And so, if you truly believe that there's a just God, it automatically influences how you live your life because you know that he is truly just. If I do bad, I will, he will pay for it. Sorry, I will pay for it. He will require it of me. However way I live my life, there is a way he is going to measure it to ensure that I am justly recompensed for what I do. So if I do good, he has a system to ensure that my good is rewarded. And if I do bad, he has a system to ensure it. So now, it's not just enough I say, I believe there is a God. The way I live my life will show that I believe that there is a God. And so that's the reason why I said, in this Psalms 14 from verse 1 to 3, we're often quick to say, oh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Oh, he must be an atheist. But you don't pay attention to what follows afterwards. First of all, he even says the fool says in his heart. So it is not necessarily a statement. It is more of a confession from within. Do you understand me? We, we are always so quick to want to hear what the person says. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I, I believe the gospel. I'm saved. Fine, agreed. But there is a way you will live your life that will make us know that of the truth, you actually do believe the gospel. So even though, of course, you are not saved by what you do, what you do will, by implication, let us know very clearly that you are saved. Do you understand me? And while, of course, there can be certain inconsistencies, the reality of it is that we'll still look at you and be able to say, ah, this one is saved. This one is saved. Clearly, he's living his life with an implication. He's living his life based on the premise of something. Are we together? So now, look at that Psalms 14. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then what follows afterwards? He doesn't talk about the things the fool says. Rather, he talks about how he acts. Look at what he says. He says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. He says, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. He says, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. So can you see that the implication of the fool saying in his heart that there is no God is not necessarily what he says. It's how he lives. It's how he lives. Do you understand me? And we are too quick to think, oh, he's talking about, you know, what he's speaking. No, because he even says, the fool says in his heart. So it is not a statement. It's not necessarily... So, meaning, the fool could be saying with his statements that, oh, there is a God. But he says in his heart that there is no God. And that's why, you know, you know I, I think it was Jeremiah who said about this. He said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts 
is far away from me. Meaning, you can be confessing something and be saying it with your mouth again and again. So much so that everybody almost believes that you are saying the truth, yet your heart is not there. Yet your heart is not there. So now, just like the girl with the spirit of divination, you are saying this men are, you know, these men are men of God. They are men of the Most High. They've come here to declare the gospel unto us. Ah! I don't even know if the person knows this. There's someone here, your, your, either your mom or your parents, they, I've not given a word like this before, they tried to find out about your future or about your destiny from someone they should not have. Do you understand? Literally, it's, it's, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's um, Ifa or something, but they, they, they tried to figure, like, just to see how your future would go from, you know, from somewhere they should not have. And here's the interesting thing. The person said the, person said the correct thing. In fact, and it's not even impossible that, to know that you are the one, it's not impossible that in passing one, once or twice, your parents would have said something about your future and they say it so affirmatively. They don't say it in a way that it's a guess. They say it as per they know. Do you understand me? It's it, because they have gone to check. And now that particular act of theirs has, is waiting to have an implication upon your life. It, it's waiting, all right? In the name of Jesus, I come against that attack of the devil in the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Ghost, I come against whatever plan the devil has as regards your life and your destiny, in the name of Jesus. I pray for, the, for you that you are kept by the power of God, in the name of Jesus. And, and, and to, to, for you to know that you are the one, what I see is that you will, have, you will actually have a, a vision, a dream, actually. You will have a dream. You will know that it is you. You will know that it is you, all right? Don't be scared. The victory is won, right? But you are kept by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Wow. I've never given a word like that before, actually. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Spirit of living. Please, let's talk in tongues. Master of Venomentriativinica Pastors. Hallelujah. You know, <laughs> hallelujah. See, um, I, I just want to retreat it to you once again because, you see, there's a way you know, um, sometimes our new creation can make us forget, all right? It's not like it matters much, to be honest, but the reality of it is this. There are demonic powers, and I'm, I'm not, and I always say this, there is a difference between suspicion and superstition and discernment. They are two different things. Do you understand me? So a lot of, a lot of times, um, the, the, um, our parents fell into the danger of superstition or suspicion, all right? So everything always has a meaning. Are we together? But then at the same time, in a bit to cover up for that, our generation is slowly moving into where we lack discernment. We can't, we can't see some things. So sometimes certain patterns are recurring in your life. But to you, you are just, it's just life, Jerry. Uh, sometimes it's not just life. Sometimes it's just life, genuinely. Sometimes it's just life. But some other times it's just not life. Do you understand? Sometimes there's something at work. All right. And so, you 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 have to be alert spiritually to pick up on something. Some things are not ordinary. Refuse some some things are not ordinary. Saying it again and again. Some things are not ordinary. Some things you see it. What is this? Come against it. Don't don't let demons play play in your backyard. Don't allow those kind of things happen. 
Are you with me? Don't allow things like that happen. There, there are there are there are operations of the devil that are just insignificant. Do you understand? There's no there's no sense to it. it it's just to complicate your life. There's no other thing to it. You don't allow such activities hold sway. Are you with me? You don't allow such activities to hold sway. So the 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 the, the balance is this. Unlike you know some other churches or some other folks where the pastor will just say everybody should pray every enemy of my destiny attacking my father's house attacking my mother's house so the pastor doesn't really know if there's anybody like that there he's just praying it just in case so in case by luck you are one of those people you receive your testimony do you understand my point that's oftentimes what it is but the summons is this is that you can tell this is an operation of the devil and you can stop it immediately are you with me you are not just playing oje koje do you understand that's not it here you can tell this is an operation of the devil. Sometimes you lose your job because uh, there's an economic downturn. But so other times you lose your job because the devil is after your family. So do you understand? You, but, and so you must be able to tell which is which. Do you get me? You must, so, and it's not suspicion. It's not, ah, this thing. It looks like it's going to be the devil. You know. You see it. You say, ah, this one is not normal. And you work on this immediately. All right? So don't, don't joke. Oh. Don't joke. Do you understand? Don't sleep. These things are real very real all right but glory to jesus for authority and glory to jesus for victory hallelujah so then as i was saying before i was saying according to uh where is it now and they will tell you to pray you're not praying <laughs> okay psalms chapter 14 <laughs> psalms 14 from verse 1 to 3 so now as i was explaining before you affirming that you believe something or you saying that you believe something is not enough proof for us to believe that you actually believe it or to know that you actually believe it it will have an implication on your life and so the implication of the full saying and as i said before he didn't even say it openly he said this in his heart so it's more of a it's more of a profession from your heart your confession from your heart not just what you are saying so you know the funny thing is this fool can actually say i believe there's a god but it doesn't mean that his heart agrees. But it is heart, is what the heart says or what the heart does that actually shows your true convictions. So he says, his heart, he says in his heart, there is no God. And the proof that he says in his heart that there is no God is that he now begins to live his life a certain way. And now, I'm starting from here to say this that see, a lot of times, see, what you truly believe will determine how you live your life. That's the point of this. As regards following God's leading, what you truly, if you truly claim to believe, as I've said before, that there is a God, there is a way you will live your life. There is a way. You can, you might confess it though. You might, you know, with everybody say, oh, there is a God. And, you know, you say it and stuff like that. But if you truly believe that there is a God, it will influence how you live your life. It will. Look at Ephesians 4 from verse 17 to 20. Ephesians 4 from verse 17 to 20. Please go there. Ephesians 4, 17 to 20. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you as forth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. He says, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling and giving themselves over to lasciviousness, to walk all uncleanness and greediness. So now, he tells us there is a way Gentiles walk. It's not just about what they say. It's not just about the fact that they, they call themselves Gentiles. There is a way they behave that makes us know these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles. So he says, look at how they work in the vanity of their mind. Now, let me say, and I've explained this to you guys before. The word vanity there is a word that means transientness. It means something that does not last, doesn't have weight. And then I remember I explained this to you guys, right? I said, now, a good ex a non-believer, for example, no matter how smart 
or, or how intelligent an invention it makes. No matter how much that inven invention makes an impact in lifetimes, all right, which is very good. The reality of it is that the Bible still calls it vanity. It still calls it vanity. Why? Because you see, in light of scripture and in light of God's word, things that actually last are things that have an effect on eternity. That's what lasts. So, for example, when you see the Bible says that the word of God lives and abides forever, it is because by faith in the word, you can transform your eternal destiny. By believing in the gospel, you are saved forever. You are saved eternally. Your eternity is covered. Are we together, guys? So now, you have to understand the implication of certain things. God's word being forever is because when we say forever, it's not forever on the earth. No. It is forever as it is forever beyond this, beyond this world. Even the world that is to come. Are we together, guys? That's when we say your authority is forever. It's because the Bible says it is forever. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Are we together, guys? But that's the thing. The unbeliever, no matter how smart he is, no matter the kind of inventions he has, no matter how well he's able to think, he cannot come up with something that influences the world even beyond now unto eternity. He can't. Do you understand? He can't. And so you have to recognize that no matter how awesome, no matter how good, no matter how great what the unbeliever does, as long as he is not saved, he is walking in the vanity of his mind. In the vanity of his mind. Together, and so you now have to recognize there is a way these people walk because they are unsaved, they walk in the vanity of the mind. Look at what he says, he says their understanding is darkened. Now, and I've always taught you guys this that you need to have a perspective of the word where it doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. If the word says this is how it is, then that is how it is, and that is very important because sometimes have you ever sometimes you look at some people, the, the sheer wisdom that they have, just some humans. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine during the week. All right, and we're discussing about certain artists, secular artists, in fact. And I was talking about the fact that genuinely, if I meet those people, if I ever had, for whatever reason, met them, I would actually tell them, "Guy, you are good." There are people like that. The, the, sometimes you look at the kind of intelligence they have. They're not necessarily they're not necessarily believers, though, but just for someone to sit down and be able to come up with music this good. For someone to sit down and be able to, you know, come up with poetry this nice. Or for someone to be able to sit down and paint, you know, certain things that just blow the mind. So then you look at those people and like, wow. But now here's the thing. If they will never get to a point where a man expresses some level of intelligence beyond the normal. And we say, oh, because of this level of intelligence, the Spirit of God must have been involved. No. Because if he is not saved, he doesn't have the Holy Ghost. Are we together, guys? And so we must have a perspective on God's word where no matter what we see in the natural, we must still be able to look at them within the lens of scripture. So as far as we are concerned, no matter how smart or no matter how intelligent or no matter how good Leonardo da Vinci was in it, as regards his paintings, if he was not saved, he is not a man whose eternal destiny is confirmed. It's not, there's no, it's not sentiment to it. It's God's word. Are we together, guys? It's God's word, all right? And so, you must have that perspective. No matter how beautiful this, what this person does in naturalist, no matter how enlightened in the naturalist person sings, Bible says as long as he's a non-believer, his understanding is darkened. So now, you now have to renew your mind to say, if this person is not saved, no matter how much light this person seems to be walking in, in life, this person's understanding is darkened. It's always easy to know that someone's understanding is darkened when they seem to be making wrong decisions in their lives. But when you meet someone who is not a believer, is not saved, but it's almost like he makes the smartest choices. 
he makes the smartest financial choices. In fact, you know, I was I was reading a book, I think it was Outliers by Malcolm Godwell. All right. And then he was speaking about folks who we consider to be hyper successful. And I was trying to explain how there is a bit of luck to it. And sometimes there's just a bit of natural instinct. And then he made an example of Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, who is majorly into you know um, investments in different kinds of businesses. And he said something that really struck me. He said, even for people that Warren Buffett has mentored, they still cannot understand sometimes the rationale why he picks the businesses he picks to invest into. In other words, you, you might think, oh, for this, for this kind of man to be able to decide what businesses to invest in and what businesses to pick, he probably has a very rational way he does it. So maybe he looks at the business, he looks at maybe their profit margin, looks at how long they've lasted, looks at, you know, certain tendencies and stuff like that. And then maybe when in his mind he analyzes some things, he thinks, oh, this is the best business to, to invest in and then he applies. But apparently, there is also the fact that, you know, there is actually, there are times when he just looks at a business and he just feels like, just that. He just, he just feels like this business is going, to, is going to do well. And then he invests. Like up until the point where people say, even his children still don't, because his children are in the same business as, as he is, even his children still don't understand how he's able to make certain choices. And guess what? The choices usually work out right, at least most of the time. So sometimes it's, it's just an inkling. This business will do well. And that's it. Guess what? And guess what? We will not get to the point where we now say such a thing. We now say, ah! This is a realm of divine accuracy. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an expression of the gift of grace. Of mm -mm, there's no need. As long as he is unsaved, if he is unsaved, though, I don't know if he's saved or not. But if he is unsaved, as long as he is, Bible says his understanding is darkened. It doesn't matter the amount of light he seems to be walking in. Do you understand? So now you must have that kind of mindset. Where now here is something that, that might not get interesting, and you might find another believer who is consistently making wrong decisions all their lives, all their life. Like it's always like it's always like once they make even if you don't know how situation is going to turn out if they make this decision just do the next thing the other thing because that's the other thing that other thing is what's going to work out it's like they are always unfortunate listen to me when you see that man and then you see Warren Buffet you must still see something a gentile whose understanding is darkened and a believer whose understanding is enlightened now it might now be that this believer is not working in the enlightenment in his spirit and that's true that's fine however you must still see those two people. And one must still surpass the other. You must still see the believer as being better than the unbeliever, even if the unbeliever is doing better naturally than the believer. That is how you know that your mind is being influenced by God's word. All right. So it tells you the mind of the, the understanding of the believer is darkened. He says he's alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So I'm not going to read that again. The whole point of what I'm just trying to explain to you is this: is that there's an implication. There is a way they walk that makes us know, oh, this is a Gentile. There's a way they live their life. It's not just by them saying it. It's not just by what they say. I wish you got that, guys. So that, this is also the reason why I always tell you guys, when you go when, when you go on outreaches, all right, don't be so particular about, I don't usually, except when I'm just trying to do certain things, I don't necessarily ask people, are you saved? Or even if I told I ask them, are they saved? I don't stop there. How are you saved is important. Talk to, like, investigate through their words. Because oftentimes, words are a gateway to people's hearts or to people's minds. What they, what they truly believe, it will come out by them talking consistently. So you want to investigate what they actually believe by the things that come out of their mouth. It's not just enough to say, are you saved? Oh, I'm saved. Okay, no problem. Go. No. In fact, you can get a man saved without using the word saved. Do you believe Jesus Christ died for you? Do you believe that he was buried? Do you believe he rose again? 
the third day. Do you believe that the reason of his resurrection, your sins are gone? You believe, beautiful. Even if you don't use the word saved, the man is saved. Do you understand me? So th that, that's the point. The point I'm trying to drive is this. There is an implication of what you believe in your heart. There's an implication of what your convictions really are. It's going to show in your actions. All right? And so, as it does within the context of divine leading, listen to me. If you truly believe that there is a God, if you truly believe that there is a God who knows the end from the beginning, who has all things in his hands, who has times and seasons in his hands, there is a way you behave. There's a way you behave. So meaning, if you are comfortable making very major life decisions without consulting God, actually, you really don't believe that such a God exists. You don't. You don't. Because if you truly, really believed that such a person existed, a man who knows the end from the beginning, sorry, did I say man? No. A God who knows the end from the beginning, a being who, who upholds the world by the words of his mouth. Do you understand? When, if you truly believe that such a being exists, you will have no problem always checking in with him before you make a crucial life decision. And you will be very scared to make any life-altering or life-changing decision without getting the feedback from him. So chances are, the reason you have been able to, for example, make certain decisions in your life, a decision of a partner, a decision of where to stay, decision of who to be with, is actually because even though you say to your mouth that you believe that there's a God, you clearly don't. Or at least, you really don't believe in it. You are not convinced. Because if you are, it will, it, it will have an implication on how you live your life. You won't just do anyhow. You won't just. Do you understand me? So that's, that's an example of what I'm saying. Alright? So it's not so much what you say as it is what your heart actually has come to believe. There is an implication of you saying that you believe in a God that knows the end from the beginning. If you truly do, ah, it will affect your life. It will. It will. Actually, it will. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. So look at what it says. It says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, a lot of times when we read this verse, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Oh, the first thing that comes to our mind, don't fornicate. All right? Don't do what I'm supposed to do. Then after that, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't so on and so forth. But listen to me. There is a set. See, I personally believe there are certain things that are more witty than stealing, lying, this thing, stuff like that. Let me put it this way. A man choosing to live his life for God matters more than a man choosing not to lie. I'm going to say that again. A man choosing, while of course a man lying, a man not lying, or a man choosing not to lie is a good thing. A man choosing to live his life for God is way more important than a man choosing not to drink. Do you understand? Because one has submitted his entirety to God. He has, he has decided, it is all to you. I'm going to live for you. That one is more, has, it bears more weight than, oh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. Why? Because anybody can decide not to lie. You cannot decide today and say, I don't want to lie again. And then, you know, you can try and keep up with it. I don't want to steal anymore. And then you don't steal anymore. But it takes conviction to say, I want to live for someone else. I want my entire life to revolve around someone else. I want my decisions, my choices to reflect service in my entirety for someone. So that if he says, do this, I do it without asking questions. Now that matters more. That's, that's more witty and that's more important. 
Are we together, guys? So when you hear glorify God in your, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, don't always let your glorify God always be, oh, you know, don't steal, don't lie. Your glorifying God also involves you glorify him in your mind. Do you understand him? You, you hold him as Lord. You revere him. It, the, the, very, the very words God must mean something to you. You must say it with reverence. Do you understand? You, you get me? You must say it sometimes and your body trembles. Your body shakes. It's God. Are, are you with me, guys? They, they are, do you understand? There must be, there must be certain... Let me, let me tell you something that, that is very funny. Now, it, it might not mean anything to you. Do you understand? I mean, particularly when you already know polar revelation and stuff like that. But still date, I still cannot. I can never be able to spell God with small g. It, it might not sound like a big deal, but it is to me. It, it, I, I can't. Do you understand? It, 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 it doesn't have to be a big deal. Do you understand? It doesn't have to be this thing to you. And for some of us, we just do it because we're already just so used to it. So it looks... So for some of us, it's not necessarily a reverence thing. It's just an absurd thing to us. So when you see a G-O-D, it just feels weird to you. So you change it to G. But some, it's more than that. It's a reverence. I, I, like, I can't. It was said of people who wrote scriptures that whenever they had to write the name of God, which was Yahweh, they would stop writing. They would go and wash themselves clean wash themselves clean and then they would come back to write now you can say ah that's too much nice but that reverence that's all is god the god of the entire universe god and if it was said if they were to ever make a mistake with the spelling of that that's the end that that like that literally they will start all over again reverence reverence so if you truly revere god it's not not lying is good. It's a good thing. And it shows, it shows that you revere God and stuff like that. But that you revere God the most is in, in your mind. How, how you hallow him in your mind. And how that hallow that you have for him reflects in all of the things that you do. It will now influence how you live your life. It will influence it. It will show. It will. Look at, look at for example, open Matthew 22. Let me show you something. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. You know, this, this shows, for example, in how we worship. How we worship, but some of us, we've never, you know, so, so, sometimes, you know, you, 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 you are lost in worship. And I'm going to teach about this, you know, in April. Uh, there must be certain emotions that nothing else can, can, nothing else can elicit out of you, but the gospel can. Personally, I'm not a very emotional person in terms of like crying. I Maybe very few times I can be very touched to the point of crying, but see, <laughs> the the gospel will carry me to tears. It's not. Can you, do you understand? Prayer will it will lay hold. It will throw me on the altar of tears like this. Gladly, gladly. I prayer. I will cry. There's that's not a problem. There must be certain emotions that maybe not even necessarily intentionally that God must be able to touch that almost nothing else can. No, almost nothing else can bring out that kind of drive and emotion from you. There must be, there must be areas of your life that are so hallowed to God that way. There must be choices that only God can make you make. Literally, when we say things like this thing, only God can make me do it. You must mean it. That this, there are certain things that, forget, nothing else can make me do it if it's not God. It shows a reverence. Close it. 
irreverence. That's it. So now look at Matthew 22 from 36 to 40. So the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and he says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbors and thyself on this on these two commandments, and God, the Lord, and the prophets. And then you want to say, ah, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you. You know, I share it with your mouth. No problem. As I, but don't forget what I've said before. It's not just about what you say. It's about a conviction in your heart. But then the question becomes this. For a person that you see every day, if you say you love him, you can express it to him. Are we together? So say, for example, you say you love your partner. It will show in the things you do. It will show him you wanting to spend quality time with them. You wanting to help them with acts of service. You wanting to give them gifts and stuff like that. But then how do you show God that you love him? That's the question. For a God you don't see. Oh, and you can say, well, I show it by loving the other the, the people that he has died for. Nice, no problem. But how do you love a God? First of all, now let me also say this. Do you realize that the kind of love you show people is also a function of who they are to you? For example, the way I express love to my mom, it's not the same way I'm going to express love to my... It's not the same way I'm going to express love to my partner. It can't be. Because there is a way I am towards my partner doesn't do from the, the relationship I have with my mom. Just as the way I'm going to relate with my son, or the way I'm going to express love to my son, is not from how I'm going to express love to my father. There is... So in my expression of love to my father, honor must be involved because he's my father. Are you with me? In my expression of love to my son, of course, there's honor involved, but it's not the same kind. Are we together, guys? So now, ex the expression of love is not just determined, it, it, it is also determined by who you are loving. Are we together, guys? So it's nice to say, well, I love God by loving the people that he died for. I love God by loving the people he has created. But the question is, how do you love a God who is greater than every other person? That's the question. And so what Jesus actually did here in Matthew 22 was a commentary of the law. Because look at what he says. He says, the first is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. He says, the second one, which is like unto is that you love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on this hang all the law and the prophets. And it was correct. So what exactly was Jesus doing? What Jesus actually did there was a commentary of the Ten, of the ten Commandments, which was, uh, which was in turn a commentary of the entire law. I'm still going to do a teaching on understanding the law and the prophets, that will most likely be Caruso Bible Conference. Ah, it was supposed to be Caruso Bible Conference next year, but I, I, don't, I don't know how realistic that is because there's some things I want to touch again, all right? But however, so now what Jesus did there was a basic commentary of the law and the prophets, and which was a basic commentary of the Ten Commandments, of which the Ten Commandments are also a commentary of the entire law, or better still, a summarized version of the entire law. But that's by the way. But now look at something. Go to Exodus 20. I want to look at the Ten Commandments. So I'll show you what I'm saying. Exodus 20 from verse 3 to verse 17. Please go there. Exodus 23 to 17. Oh Lord, our God, how excellent your name is. How excellent your name in all the earth. Glory fills the heavens beyond the farthest star. How excellent your name in all the earth. Ato valiba shatali montra godevelesis of anamatriativinica pastors. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, you see, guys, we must restore in our hearts that reverence for god that no man has do you understand me both 
when we gather, as in when we worship, and at the same time, in the way we live our lives, it must show. It must show that God is the is the subject of our desires. It's He's the one around whom everything revolves. It must it must show in the way we sing, in the way we talk, in how we kneel when we worship. When was the last time you knelt in worship? When was the last time you rejoiced? Not just because you know the 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 the, the person leading said rejoice. You rejoiced because something sprang up from your heart. You 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 meditated upon God's love and it he hit something in you and you had to jump. When was the last time? Listen to me. Th those things are, they are necessary. They are vital signs for your spiritual life. They must be there. They must never go away. They must be there. They must always be there again and again and again. So you have to, you, you have to check. Do you understand me? There are times when clearly your reverence for God is dwindling. Do you understand me? And then you do something about it. Stir it up again. You do something about it. Hallelujah. Let me just quickly rush through what we have left thank you lord jesus all right uh, so i was saying that what you actually have in matthew 22 from verse 36 to 40 is a commentary of you know of the um ten commandments so let's look at the ten commandments all right so jesus says that the ten commandments are literally just two things love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself it tells you that's what all of the law and the prophets hang on so let's look at that exodus 23 to 17 he says thou shalt have no other gods before me he says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness. I've said this thing before and I'm going to say it again. Listen to me. One of the things that we're going to have in Caruso ministry are women of God. Very, very strong women of God. You know, as, as, I, was, as I was just saying this now, certain images flash before my eyes of three people, three of three folks here that are disciples, of course. Three, three ladies like that just flashed in my eyes. And I'm saying it again. I've always been saying it before and I'm saying it again. We we will have women of God. Do you understand me? We're not talking. We're not talking women who always ha have to be behind their husbands when the, when he does ministry. I mean, women of God through and through. Do you understand me? They will do the work of ministry the way men do it, even better. Are we together, guys? They will do it. So this is it's it's both a word of prophecy, but then at the same time, it's an admonition. Where right? it's an admonition, all right? But for 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 the ladies, you know, here. You are a woman of God. You are that's the reason why sometimes I, I talk to you, I'll call you man of God, even though you're a lady. I'll say man of God because I, I don't I, there's no there's no male or female. Do you understand me? You are a minister of the gospel through and through. That's what you are. So take upon yourself that call that God has given you and work with it. All right, work with it. So now, as I was saying, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that seeketh his name in vain. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy all right six days thou shalt labor and on and do all thy work but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord thy god in it thou shalt not do any work thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy maid servants nor thy nor thy man servant nor thy maid servant nor thou to in thy gift for the lord made the heaven and the earth all right i want to go into all of them then from verse 12, he now begins to say, Honor thy father and thy mother, that I live, this may belong upon the earth which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear for witness, so on and so forth. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments,
manifesting you notice is that the first part was things you do towards God. Are we together, guys? Things you do towards God. So it tells you don't serve any other God besides me. All right. Don't make any graven image. All right. Um, um, do not serve other gods for I'm a jealous God, so on and so forth. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, meaning let there be a day that is set apart for me, a day where you don't do any other work, where you are just focused. And, and then, of course, there are certain things that they do on the Sabbath. Are we together? So have a day where it is just hallowed unto me, a day of reverence unto me. Have such a thing. And then when he's done talking about those things you do towards God, he now move on to say, and these are the things you do towards me. So love your, honor your father and your mother. Don't steal, don't kill, don't do this, don't do that. So can you now see why Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets hang on just two things. You will love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. And then also you will love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning the first thing is to love the Lord. And then the second thing is to love your neighbor. Which by the way, let me just add, and I think I said this before, just to get your mind thinking. Is it not interesting that every time or most of the time when Paul wanted to commend the church, he would always say, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints. Does this sound like what Jesus said in Matthew 22? Loving God and then loving people. Because your faith in God really is your love for God. Your, your faith in God is reflected in the fact that you honor him as God, you revere him as God, you live your life a certain way. So can we say that Paul, in fact, understood faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints from his understanding of the revelation of the Old Testament, which was the laws and the prophets? Now, that's just something for you to think about. But then that being said, let's go back to what we're talking about. So now, look at the way Jesus says, the way you, so Jesus explains, don't commit idolatry, don't have another God besides me, keep, have, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Jesus explains all of that in one phrase, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So listen to me, when you say you love the Lord, how do you love the Lord? By doing what? By honoring him. By revering him, by having no other God besides him. And you might say, Oh, of course, I don't serve any other God. I don't serve Ifa. I don't serve Shango. But listen, are you are you truly sure that your heart is your heart is rid of idolatry? Any other thing that takes the place of what God should take in your heart becomes an idol. Anything that can stand as a competition with God in your heart is an idol. And while you can literally say, ah, there's there can't be any such thing anything in my own heart standing as competition against god there can't be such thing listen there can be and in a generation like ours let me tell you one primary thing that thing is going to be it is simple it is the the hunger for wealth and fame i'm going to i'm going to round up with this and we're, we're praying yesterday and then the lord laid it upon my heart and you see it, can, it was also kind of a correction for me actually because you see let me start let from me here start from you see, particularly for younger folks, particularly for younger folks who, if you consider yourself to be quite smart, and then you know you can juggle a couple of things and stuff like that, there is a way you. Well, let me start from saying this: serving God involves taking your time. You cannot serve God because at the end of the day, all we have is twenty-four hours. God is not going to give you twenty-six or twenty-eight hours because you have to serve Him. All you have in this world is twenty-four hours. Are we together? And so, if you if you truly serve God, it means you will have to find time in that 24 hours to serve God. doesn't matter how you do it or what you have to do, but there must be time in that 24 hours to serve God. Now, where I'm driving to is this. Is it not interesting that in 24 hours, it becomes a problem to devote 10% of that time in the entirety of 24 hours to whom we call 
the God of our entire existence. A lot of us find it hard to even devote up to one hour in prayer to God. Now I'm saying to devote two hours, 24 hours, that's two hours, that's 2.4 hours, that's two hours and 24 minutes of our entire day to God. Meaning, I'm not even saying to just pray. I'm saying devote two hours, 24 minutes of your entire day to prayer, Bible study, just fellowshipping with God. Is it not interesting that the, the person whom we call the God of our existence, the, the, the object of our desires, and the one, the one whom we revere above all things, is it not interesting that yet it becomes a problem to devote 10% of our time to him? That in an entire week, the only time you can say you have devoted to spiritual activities and maybe one midweek service and one Sunday service. And in fact, we have a generation where we are even tending towards seeing midweek services as unnecessary. So now, the God whom you claim to be the most important thing to you, you don't have time for him unless on Sundays. And in fact, on Sundays, you can't stay in church for too long. So, you know, a short service is necessary between 10 to 12 so that you can go back home quickly. Why? Because, sir, I'm busy with work. But I thought you said God was what matters most. Because let's be honest with ourselves, whatever matters most will not only show in how much time you devote to it, it will show in your willingness to be inconvenient for it. It will. It will. And so, it, it, while it's, it might be easy to say this for people who maybe you're not, you not necessarily making any wave in the natural, you're not doing anything big in the natural. Do you understand me? So there's really not much, much for you to sacrifice. But you see, when you are at a place where you know yourself to be smart, you know yourself to be able to do stuff. Do you understand me? You know that if I focus more time on this thing, forget. People go sabi everywhere. Everybody go here. I will make, I will make waves. At that point in time, it becomes a true test of who you truly believe your Lord to be. When you have to now decide do his bidding and you know it is going to take your time i hope i'm being clear enough i'm saying what happens when you have a client's work to do but you know that today i've not prayed which do you decide to do do you decide to say well i mean i can pray longer tomorrow let me do the client's work today while on one hand we can say that's good planning on the other hand too it should be a matter of concern that you had no problem shifting a time of fellowship with god because of a client's work that you had to do. It might be a show of, it might be something to be concerned about. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, think about it. I'm saying, <laughs> you can't even go a day without talking to your partner. Is it not interesting that you can afford to go a day without prayer? And you claim that this person is the most important person to you. Ah, maybe you don't know what you say. Remember what I said before. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then because of what he said in his heart, his actions begins to show. So maybe you are saying it, but maybe your actions are showing what your conviction really is. God is the greatest thing to me, but you don't have a prayer life. God is the object of all my desires. Yet you don't have a study life. Ah, he commands my every desire. I love him more than anything else. Yet you can't make time in a week to preach his gospel. Uh, you, 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 your mouth says it, your heart does not agree. Your mouth says it, your heart does not believe it. I can do anything for God. You, you can do anything for God. 
the same you, the same you who has no problem spending, you know, an outrageous amount of money to get a gadget, but you have never given half of that or even a quarter of that for the gospel. The same you can do anything for God. You can't. Actually, you can't. It's sweet to say, but you actually cannot do it. You can't. So, a teaching like this is a, is a call to repentance. It's not to condemn you. It's for you to sit down and ask yourself questions again and say, is God really who I claim he used to be in my life? Are you with me? And so every point in time, every now and then, you have to sit down and check your heart for idolatry and say, what are those things that have become idols to me? Sometimes your idol, as funny as it might be, might be work. And sometimes idols are legitimate. Sometimes it's legitimate. I have bills to pay. I probably, you probably come from a family where maybe you don't even have parents who, you know, can really provide. And so you have to now stand in for, you know, to provide for your siblings. So now you have every, every excuse. Are you with me? So you know, I want you to understand that I'm not coming from a place where I don't understand what you are going through. But may I am telling you this, no matter what you are going through, there is an implication of you saying, God is the center of my desires, or God is who or what matters to me the most in this life. There's an implication. It will show. It will show in your desires. It will show in the things you do. It will show in the amount of time you give him. That one is very important. It will show in the amount of time you give him. It will show in your will to be inconvenient for him. It will show. It will show. So let this be a call to repentance for you. Sit down. Analyze it. How much time do I give to the Lord? You, you do the same thing with your partner. Ah, you've not, you know, you've not been giving me enough time lately. And then you sit down, you try to plan your time so you can give more time. How much do you give to the God who you claim to be the most important thing in your life? How much time? Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Let's just pray. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.media at gmail.com. We call you blessed.